Welcome to episode 20 of That Classical Podcast. This time, symphonies. My name is Chris Bland. And my name is Kelly Harlock, and you're listening to episode 20 of That Classical Podcast. It's our 20th birthday. Happy birthday to us. If you like, you can send us a card. Um, <laughs> today we're going to be talking about symphonies, because mm-hmm. we've actually mentioned symphonies quite a few times on, on the old podcast. Indeed. Um, but we've never really explained what they are. So today, Chris, you're going to fill us in, Craig David style, right? Absolutely. Go forth. So symphonies, uh, along with concerto, are basically the dominant two forms of orchestral music that we have now that gets performed in orchestral concerts. And it is basically just a big piece for orchestra at the heart of it. Right, okay, because as opposed to a concerto, which is like... For a soloist plus an orchestra, yeah. So it's usually in four movements, can sometimes be in three movements, fast, slow, fast, standard. Classic. Uh, More often than not, though, is in four movements. It found its origins in Italy, Milan, more specifically. Milano. Milano. Mm-hmm. In the early to mid-1700s, it developed out of uh, opera overtures, which at that time were called sinfonia in right. Italian. Yeah. And the words overture and sinfonia and symphony were basically all interchangeable at that point. Okay. So it was an intro to the opera that didn't necessarily like use the music from the opera, but was just sort of a, here's some nice music before we start doing the I'll opera. Take it. yeah. Mm-hmm. So after it came to life in Milano, mm-hmm. uh, it spreads to Vienna in sort of later on in the 18th century. Mm-hmm. And this is because you've got sort of the the bigger families and their courts who have got all the dollar dollar bills. And they're like, what is this symphony I hear about? Pretty much. Get me one so immediately. They, and so at that like stage... Like <laughs> At that stage, symphonies aren't as massive as they are now in terms of number of people playing. So like we mentioned for Haydn, you've got like the Esterhazy court who had enough money to keep a, a modest amount of musicians on the payroll, basically. Yeah, nice. So at this point, it's still largely string orchestras, but we do start to expand. So we've got like bassoons joining in, doubling the cellos and the basses Love and stuff. Love a bassoon, yeah. Uh-huh. After that, we heading into the 19th century, famously came after the 18th century. <laughs> And you've got our old pal Ludwig van Beethoven, who basically elevated it as an art form. Okay. So you've got people like Haydn Mozart, who whacked out dozens and dozens of the things. Pumped them out. Just pumped out symphonies nonstop. So rather than just being another type of music that was just sort of churned out as was... Uh, he makes it into this really sort of high art form that's sort of the the pinnacle of a composer's output and that has sort of real gravitas and meaning and something behind it. Okay. So both in terms of it being longer, more substantial, like artistically speaking, I don't know if that's entirely fair to say, but there's sort of, they're more sort of thought about and in-depth and composers start to write fewer of them because they're spending more time on doing okay. them yeah. rather than like Haydn did and wrote a new one every like week. Like a smattering of symphonies, yeah. Exactly. Fair play. Beyond that... Do you know what came after the 19th century? The 20th century. Very good. Nailed it. So at this point, the symphony is this well-established form that most sort of serious composers, they want to write a symphony to show that they are proper composers. Mm-hmm. But by this point, it's diversified a lot. So everyone wants to be modern or postmodern or avant-garde oh or all that stuff. No, no. So the typical four-movement form that is what typified a, a symphony before that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily need to be the case anymore. So people can still call it a symphony but sort of mess around with the form and the content and stuff like that however still when modern composers write a symphony you're making a face no I mean I just think like if you're gonna write something that's not a symphony don't like just shove the term symphony they are they are symphonies if it's like a loose have you never heard of art forms evolving god (laughs) 
All right, carry on. But still calling something a symphony lends it a certain... Je ne sais quoi. A certain weight to it, exactly, that it's sort of a proper, serious, big orchestral work that you're doing. And that, in a nutshell, is what a symphony is. That was a great nutshell. Thank you. (laughs) So what I've taken out of that is vis-a-vis this. Four movements... Yes, usually. And great. Using all of the orchestra. Yes, Including usually. bassoons <laughs> and usually. timpani doubling up and just a big old, this is my, this is my jam kind yeah, of piece. This like, is a big important thing. Opus, sure. That's a synth. Yeah. Great. Well, listeners, armed with that knowledge, on we go. That classical podcast... Right, so first up we've got Gustav Mahler. Yeah, we, we haven't had Mahler on the podcast at all yet. Mahler. Yeah, I know. Astonishing. And he's absolutely brilliant, so you're going to enjoy this. Uh, I'm going to call him Gus Gus from now on, just so you know. So he was uh, born in Bohemia, which is actually the Czech Republic now, I yeah. believe, uh, in 1860. So he's kind of a late romantic period dude. And we will do an episode on him one day, so I won't really go into his life too much. But he was the classic, classical wunderkind. <laughs> this kind of talented musician from age four. I don't even know how that's God, possible. They all, they all are, They're aren't they? All these famous composers. Yeah, exactly. Sickening. Um, and interestingly, he was a super famous conductor throughout his life, right? Yeah, he was, wasn't but he? But as yeah. a composer, he only really got famous after he popped his clogs. Oh, Sad. Not appreciating his but time. But true. Bad times, Gus Gus. Um, <laughs> so the general consensus is that because he spent most of his life on the sort of conductor's platform, he was so in tune with how an orchestra worked, mm. how it breathed, how to get the most out of it. Mm. And you can really hear that in his music. There's a lot of subtlety in there, a lot of emotion, you know, whether it's comedy or love or despair. He, he oh, just, he knows, how to, he knows how to work it. He just knows. And he really loved symphonies. He wrote uh, 10 over yeah. the course of his life. And they made up most of his compositional output, yeah. if I'm allowed to use yeah, that yeah. phrase. And he also loved song cycles. Uh, now, a song cycle is sort of a set of related songs, often on a, a sort of romantic theme. Sure. And they form one musical entity. So it's like yeah. a set of song yeah. in yeah. one little bit. Lovely. And so some of his symphonies actually feature song cycles. So I feel like it's what? not it's not like a kaleidoscope of styles that he had, but it's <laughs> stick to what you know. He found what he was good at, <laughs> and he really hammered don't, that home. Yeah, don't yeah. push it. So today we're going to do Symphony Number no. 5. And it was composed in 1901, 1902. Yeah. Written in a summer where uh, Mahler was at a little cottage uh, oh, in Austria. Nice. And I'll say this for free. Uh, <laughs> at times, you, you genuinely do feel this kind of tranquility in there. And frankly, I want to find that cottage. <laughs> I'm going to buy it or squat there. So we've got five movements. Uh, the first <gasps> one is called... It's breaking the rules already. Oh it's my meant God. to be four movements. I mean, and this is sort of 100 years-ish, or 80 years later than Beeth Oven, Beeth Oven um, yeah. <laughs> kind of coined it. So maybe it's already, yeah, it's already He's started already to change. already playing around with it, yeah. But yeah, so there are five movements. The first one is called Trauermarsch, mm. or Funeral March. And it's kind of big and ominous and boomy, um, but actually at times quite melancholy and delicate. Uh, it's interesting. The second movement is called moving stormily with the greatest vehemence which is great and it pretty much does what it says on the tin uh, there with some less stormy bits thrown in like but all of it of is very vehement strolling aloofly rather than uh, moving stormily strolling vehemently yeah exactly I do everything with the greatest vehemence <laughs> I, d- I don't know about you but yeah okay and then number three is a scherzo which is pretty delightful and upbeat but also at times quite gentle and thoughtful mm-hmm. and yeah very playful and then movement four is the one we're going to listen to <gasps> the adagietto lovely um, it's a lovely slow one and then finally, after that, there's a rondo. So you've got everything in there. It's like oh, an all-you-can-eat buffet of 
of stuff. That sounds um, really great. Sorry, musical. can you explain to me what an adagiato is? What, what yeah, does that of mean? Course. So <laughs> on the scale of slow stuff, we've got... So oh, right, so it's, it's a tempo marking. It's a tempo marking. Right. And so I think at the very bottom of the scale, you've got largo. Which means right, like super duper slow. Super duper slow. Sure. Then you've got adagio, which is a little bit faster. And andante which is one above that, and it's sort of a walking pace. That's what we'd say. Right. A walking pace. So you've got the adagio, and this is an adagietto, which means it's kind of a more adagio, adagio. Okay. So it's so slightly it's like, faster. So it's medium slow, but on the faster side <laughs> yeah. of slow. I think it's not quite the pace of an andante, okay. if you get what I mean. Right. Listeners, we're gonna, we'll post a link to this <laughs> on Twitter. Um, but yeah, that's the general gist. So okay. look, you're going to love it. Let's listen to it. It's fantastic. Super. Are you ready? Yes. Excellent. So nice. Can't you see that little summer cottage? <laughs> I, I just hear it. And there, I, I hear the half of the music. I see myself sitting with a, cu- <laughs> a, a carp, a carp, and also a harp. <laughs> Fishing one arm harp. Sorry, Marla, that's a bit disrespectful. Um, so that was that. I mean, isn't it just absolutely stunning? Yeah. Please go and listen to the whole thing. It's it's all just that beautiful. Mm. I'll tell you that for free. And the rest of the symphony itself is also just fantastic. And as I said earlier, there's there's so much light and shade, even within that movement. It's mm. not, you know, there are some more exciting bits. Sure. So that's lovely. If you want to hear more of Marla, I'd say go and listen to some of his song cycle things. Okay. Go and listen to I Am Lost to the World. Ooh. It's gorgeous. You might recognise it. It's the one that kind of goes, bah, bah, bah. no, no, that's that's not going to help. Is it? Uh, but, but you'll probably recognise it. Let me know if you do. Also, um, the song Thanks of for the little help, anyway. <laughs> the song, the song of the earth is another one that's like an hour long though. So you know, put aside the time for that one. Okay. But I've got to say, sort of as an ending to that, Mahler is one of the only composers that genuinely gives me goosebumps. Mm. Like goosebumps of emotion and joy and like you know when you listen to something and it makes you react facially like on public transport <laughs> would you say he's your bar? like i've just read a terrible whatsapp but actually it's just a chord that's made me have an existential crisis um yeah no he, it's my bar he's, okay he's my bar he's your you found your that's bar it. thank god but yeah guys let me know what you think and and go and explore that let's go so we're going to move on approx 80 years into the future now. Nice. And sadly, it's going to be a bit less lush and lovely and wonderful. <laughs> That's uh, okay. We're going to be listening to Shostakovich. <laughs> and... <laughs> Right, <laughs> the guy who signed his name into lots of his scores, exactly. Uh, and we're going to listen to his fifth symphony. Okay. So he wrote this in 1937. Okay. So. He is a Russian man, was a Russian a man. Russian man, nice. And so we're talking pretty peak Stalin o'clock here. Oh no. So there's 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 less fun stuff okay. happening. So if I give you just a little bit of background on what happened to Shostakovich around the time. Oh, God. So 
Shostakovich wrote an opera called Lady Macbeth of the Mutsensk District. That is a tongue twister. That's a mouthful. And <laughs> this opera premiered in 1934. Two years later, 1936, Stalin watched it. The next day, there was an article in the Pravda, which is the, the mm. main newspaper of, of Soviet Russia, that... Yeah, wasn't good, basically. So, um, obviously, in that environment, any sort of public denunciation was bad news and meant that you could just be, like, arrested and taken off at any point. To a gulag. Yeah, to a gulag. So, basically, Stalin thought it was sort of too avant-garde, the the tonality was too weird, there was too much violence and sex in the opera, Uh, it was not really keeping in... But it's art! But not Soviet Stalin, art. Stalin it wasn't, wasn't an artistic kind <laughs> not, of guy. Famously, he not huge on like oh, no. freedom of self-expression. No. So this article that was written in Pravda, yeah, wasn't complimentary. I've got a quote here that says. <laughs> Here is music turned deliberately inside out in order that nothing will be reminiscent of classical opera or have anything in common with symphonic music or with simple and popular musical language accessible to all. The power of good music to infect the masses has been sacrificed to a petty bourgeois formalist attempt to create originality through cheap clowning. It gets worse. It is a game of clever ingenuity that may end very badly. So if if that's not a threat, I don't know what is. Oh my day. Yeah. It's yeah. not just like one star from the Daily Mail. No. It's, it's like you're gonna die. It's and- really bad. So obviously in in the it I mean it's it's very difficult to imagine now, but the environment they're operating in, it was just totally normal for people to be arrested and taken away. So much so that yeah. Shostakovich uh had a, a young family, so he had a wife and I think she I don't think she'd given birth to their kid at this point. But he had a bag packed and kept by the door and would often sleep in the stairwell outside his apartment so that it wouldn't like disturb his family when he came and got arrested in the middle of the night. He was like that prepared I to mean- be Taken away. That is thoughtfulness there. Yeah, no, right. It's like, I I wouldn't want to interrupt your sleep. (laughs) So he understandably poops his pants slightly. Jeez Louise, yeah. uh, Reigns in his activity almost immediately. So he was in rehearsals for his fourth symphony at the time, Mm. scrapped that mid rehearsals basically, and was like, right, not putting this on. If they didn't like that, they're not going to like this. And then, so he comes out with Symphony Number no. 5 for the following year, so 1937. Okay. And so basically what he has to do with this is sort of stop being a pariah. So people would, like, avoid him on the streets. They would, like, cross the streets so as not to be seen to be associated okay, with him. Yeah, fine, fine. So he needs to sort of, like... Win back their love. <laughs> more or less, or win back not being actively <laughs> murdered. being murdered. Yeah, so... When this was had its premiere in Moscow, it was recommended to him by a journalist, I think, that he should put a subtitle on it, which is A Soviet Artist's Reply to Just Criticism. So, Is this him selling out like the Kings of Leon? <laughs> when did the Kings of Leon sell out to... It's on fire. Don't worry about it. It's fine. To the USSR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so... What it wasn't the sellout. What he was was ultimately very, very pragmatic about this. Mm-hmm. So in writing this sort of ostensibly pro-Soviet, so socialist realism is what the style's called. So it was it informed lots of architecture in the USSR and East Germany. Uh, informed lots of uh, writing, art, music, and all sort of had to ad- adhere to this this sort of Soviet ideal. Mm-hmm. So, hence why he couldn't have been an open dissident, or they would have just straight up taken him away. Right. 
So this piece, it's absolutely fabulous, I should say. Okay. I should so put it's not like there. a sellout piece. It's not absolutely crap. not. Okay. No, oh god, no, absolutely not. And I'm about to tell you exactly why it's not. <laughs> okay. um, so it is. It's clear. It's tonal. It's not particularly avant-garde. Mm-hmm. However, oh, it's, it's almost quite difficult to describe. So it seems almost joyful at points. So it's done in quite an orthodox way. So it's in four movements. There are tunes that you can recognise. Nice. Uh, so there's a waltz. There's sort of like a quite joyful waltz <laughs> okay. in there. Yeah. There's references to Russian folk songs to and show like did Stalin love all of this stuff yeah to Does show like work. how Russian I am there's a reference to uh, an opera written by a Russian composer called uh, Mussorgsky okay, um, the opera Boris Godunov and the final movement is this sort of like bombastic march like so it's like ending. the borscht of symphonies it's like Russia <laughs> In a bowl. On the surface, yes. <laughs> surface borscht. <laughs> a surface borscht. However, what he does is, oh my God, it's fantastic. So it's sort of on the surface is that, but below that, there's this undercurrent of sort of bitterness and sarcasm and real, real sadness. So, for example, the Russian folk song is played but he doesn't follow the actual correct notes of the song. Mm-hmm. So it's like something slightly admiss. The uh, the waltz is almost like a parody of a waltz. It's sort of like a waltz dialed up to 11. Yeah. Um, the very opening of the whole symphony, which is what we're going to listen to in a second, is this sort of really dramatic, sort of angular, spiky opening. Right. The opera that he references has a bunch of people rising up against a, a tyrant. Okay. Um, the march at the end is this like like unbelievably over the top it's like super super military russia russia yeah yeah okay so by doing that what he's doing is as it's and again it's it's really really important to say that he's not being an open dissident here he is accepting that title of like a soviet artist reply to just criticism but he's being quite sly and cunning about it yeah okay. basically right. he's he's Lovely. he's not sort of just rolling over he's being pragmatic about it and saying i can't go nuts because going to be taken to a gulag. I'm going to go nuts beneath the surface. Exactly. I'll take it. So what we're going to do now is listen to this opening. Oh my days. Because um, I don't want to play the the march or the waltz or whatever because I don't think they're that good. But the opening okay. is iconic and great. Let's do it. So that was the opening to the whole thing. As I said, sort of quite pointy. So it sounds orthodox, but there's this undercurrent of like it's sadness. It's so ominous and quite frightening yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and unhappy. You yeah, can, you can so unhappy. And knowing that background that you gave us, yeah, it, it's all the more kind of meaningful, Exactly, isn't it? and that's so because of the background wow. we're working in. So the good news is that it worked. It was a huge critical <laughs> and public success. So yeah. the party was happy with it and people were happy with it. So much so that at the premiere, after the slow movement, uh, the whole audience, well, not whole audience, but lots of the audience were sort of weeping, which is astonishing because sort of openly weeping could have been seen as a sign of dissidence, basically, of Wait. like... What? Yeah, of like disobedience okay. or that you're unhappy. No, but like, what have you? What have you just had PMS? Like, <laughs> the, 
Like the other day, I saw, a, I saw a dog on TV the other day. And <laughs> it doesn't mean that I'm. It doesn't mean that I'm not happy with society. It just means that I love dogs. Well, just be glad you're not living in Soviet <laughs> I Russia. Am, I am. But no, that's that's really fascinating. Is there anything else you want to say? Yeah, so Shostakovich in his memoirs, looking back on this sort of period of his life and the political circumstances, he said, it's as if someone were beating you with a stick and saying, your business is rejoicing, your business is rejoicing. You rise shakily and go off muttering, our business is rejoicing, our business is rejoicing. AKA, like, we have to be happy all the time. Sort of. And that's that's what the thought behind the last moon of it was, the march, that is just like... (laughs) It's like frenzied, If you you have time to go out and listen to it, listeners, do. It's, It's frightening. It's crazy. It's, it's like bom, sounds bom, a bit bom. like Star Wars as well. But yeah, no, no, it's great. That's fantastic. So that's Symphony Number no. Five by Shostakovich. Brilliant. One, two, three. Bad classic podcast. Next. Hello. So we are gonna go on to George Inescu. Ooh, um, rogue and choice. It, yes. He's not very famous. And no, I know. I, I, I thought because we're not doing like a two composer episode, I wanted to do someone sort of slightly less known. Okay. So, and I'm sorry because he was literally alive at the same time as Marla. So it's not it's not a lot of okay. right, uh, variety fine. we've got here, but it's still great. Okay. So, so he, what sort of dates are we talking? So he was born 1881, died 1955. Okay. So sure. pretty, around the same time. Mm. So he was a Romanian composer, violinist, pianist, and conductor and teacher. Wow, he had it all. Uh, yeah, and he was one of Romania's kind of biggest dogs in terms what of... What an overachiever. What a desperate overachiever. And he was another Wunderkind, um, <sighs> right? And so apparently, I don't know if I believe this, at the age of three, he remembered some people playing violin, like, round his house, I don't know. Mm. And he remembered wanting to imitate that. Okay. okay. <laughs> I don't buy that, because my first memory is a caterpillar cake aged five. Oh, I love those Do you know ones. what I mean? Like, I know exactly. Okay. The and then shortly yeah. after that is like shoving a toy horse into a hole in a garden path. Like it's like, not knowing that I wanted to be a violinist. With like... all due respect, you're not a wunderkind, so... <laughs> Um, but look, so funny story. So he, he, he heard these people playing violin and he was like, yes, love it. So his family were like, right, we're poor. Um, let's give him a plank of wood with some thread on it. No way. And he was like, I'll take it. So he had Kids that. are so stupid. And then a couple of, no, bless him, a couple of years later, they were like, right, we need to up, we need to up our game. So they gave him like this crap toy violin with three strings. And he was like, oh yeah, thanks a lot. Just threw it into the fire. No just way. threw it into the fire immediately. Like, oi, I'm not messing around. Like, give me a bomb of violin. Or I'm just going gonna, gonna to burn the house down. What a twat. Anyway, so he was a virtuoso, but eventually he sure. did get he did get he did a violin. Get violin. And, cool, was cool. and actually, he taught Yehudi Menuhin, who's a very, very famous violinist. Yeah, nice. um, and yeah, things like that. Great. And one day we will do a 60 seconds on George Inescu. I think it will be right. very, very interesting. But okay. today is not that today day. Today is not that day. So, lads and lassies, he wrote three symphonies in his life. Mm-hmm. And today we're going to hear Symphony Number no. One. Okay, written in 1905, so genuinely three years after Mahler wrote that other yeah, symphony, yeah, so very yeah. similar time, sure. but very, quite different. So mm. there are three movements. The first one that we're going to listen to is assez vif et rythmé, right, <laughs> with with liveliness and rhythm. Uh, and then the next one is uh, just a slow a slow one, beautiful sweepy strings in that one. Mm. And then the final one is vif et vigoureux. So again, Another fast, vigorous, fast yeah. slow, fast. Vehemence with vehemence. <laughs> yeah, fast, slow, fast, classic. Um, let's listen to it. It's brilliant. And and I chose this part because I just thought the chords were gorgeous and crunchy Ooh. and great. So see what Your you favorite think. favourite thing. My favourite. <laughs> 
wasn't that good. Very cool. I right. must admit that I'm not overly familiar with the works well, of Inescu. I mean, I don't. I think he's kind of an underappreciated mm. guy. To what be I really liked about that in particular was the 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 way he uses texture, the, yeah. the, the interrelation of all the the instruments. So there was some sort of piccolos doing their stuff right? way up, and there yeah, was like brass yeah. dancing around underneath the strings. And I just thought it was, really it was nice. all very unexpected, like yeah. from, from start to finish. Just the way the chords went so, and, 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 and some quite cool and the rhythmic rhythm. effects. Yeah, yeah. Ba, 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 ba. I just I thought it was wonderful nice. and almost kind of soundtracky at points. What a good discovery! What a, thanks very much. Um, but yeah, go out and 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 discover more of his stuff and and please let us know what your favorite things are because <laughs> we and don't know actually, him. Yet. Yeah, but but also let us know what your kind of favorite underappreciated symphonies are if you mm, if you know any of those. I'd be really sure. interested to know because I, I think George is is a case of that. Agreed. But yeah, brilliant. So, going from a not that well-known piece to, I would say, probably the most well-known piece in the oh. classical canon. Kelly, sing it. What's the most famous piece? Oh my you gosh. Know? Uh, <laughs> 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 no, it's not. It is not Spanish play. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's not a classical piece, but... <laughs> yeah, great. Um, no, great. it is not that. Okay. It's Ode to Joy. It's Beethoven. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, pretty close. Close, but no cigar. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Very close. close. Yeah, so this is Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, possibly one of the most widely played, most well-known, most famous I mean, classical pieces out there. I mean, can we say overplayed as well, potentially? <laughs> We could. Yeah, okay, yeah, there we go. I think it holds up, though, despite being played all the time, everywhere, all the time. Mm. So it's often agreed to be pretty much one of the best things ever written, kind of full stop, in terms of being this unbelievable magnum opus, this, like, real culmination of Beethoven's work. Yeah. So I'm not even going to mention Beethoven's other symphony today. So we've spoken about uh, his fifth one, in a previous episode, but oh, there's 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 fertile ground to talk about all the rest of them. <laughs> Jesus Lord, okay, yeah. Right. Um, so I'm not gonna even go into those mm-hmm. right now. So mm-hmm. one straight off the bat, one super cool thing about this symphony mm-hmm. is that it has voices in it, which the majority of voices. symphonies don't. Yeah, it's got a bass soloist and like a massed choir. Nice. Okay. Yeah, Marla did that. Oh, all right. Marla did this. <laughs> Marla did that. But Beethoven did it first. Okay, fair play, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this was premiered in 1824. Uh, and then, do you remember, we spoke about this before. So, at this point, it's sort of towards the end of old Beethoven's life. Yeah. And so, he's pretty profoundly deaf at this point. <laughs> And yeah. so the audience wouldn't have behaved in the same way then that they do now. So they would have like clapped in between movements and stuff, oh. but he couldn't hear them. So his like, <laughs> one of the soloists had to like tug his arm and be like, yo, yo, Ludwig, they're, they're clapping. Shh, stop. That's adorable. Let's just listen to the most famous part of it just because yeah. it's great. Tunes there from Beethoven, <laughs> as always. Just, you know. 
Okay, so that particular point of the symphony is not especially subtle. I will give you that. I mean, it's great. It's, I mean, it is just so famous, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the form of it is quite cool and quite interesting. So as I said, Beethoven was the one who like elevated the symphony Mm, to this like mm. massive grand artistic statement. So it is in four movements as uh, the sort of traditional typical symphony should be got it but this fourth movement is almost a symphony unto itself so there's like movements within this movement so this last movement is usually like 20 odd minutes long and it's like there's a whole symphony uh, crammed into there as well great so this has a I mean, as I'm sure you know, has just a huge place in in the cultural and political landscape mm. as a piece. Mm. It's in Die Hard, of course. Uh, it's, no, it's like it's appeared in a bunch of films. It's in so much, yeah, so much stuff. Uh, yeah. What I found quite interesting in researching it, though, is how I mean, I always knew it had like a political element to it, but how much it means to so many different political spheres along the way. So. It was conducted by Leonard Bernstein Mm -hmm. um, in 1989, just after the Berlin Wall had fallen. Wow. Um, And he gathered together an orchestra, like a multinational orchestra, but like proper multinational. Mm -hmm. So it's like from the USSR, East and West Germany, France, the UK, the US, gathered them all together and played this. Nice. And changed it from Ode to Joy, Freude, to Ode to Freedom, Freiheit. So it all fitted in together. Nice. um, Which was pretty cool. Nice, Bernstein. Uh, since 1972 has been the anthem of the EU hashtag Brexit <laughs> it's fine. we're <laughs> not a politics podcast let's go into that <laughs> we, sh- we shan't but it is the EU anthem and so for example at the proms this year August mm. 2017 or it might have been at the end of July a piano player Igor Levitt as his encore came back on stage wearing an EU lapel badge and oh, played God. this as an encore which is, I how, think, quite how cool. How did us Brits respond to that? Uh, no, I think like some took it quite well. Okay, I think it was okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it has been used by loads of different political spheres all okay, the time, basically. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's been used by the Nazis, the Bolsheviks Ooh. in the Chinese Cultural oh, Revolution. Dear. It was used by the joint East and West German Olympic team when they couldn't agree on a national anthem. Okay. Uh, it's been used as national anthems for uh, what was then called Rhodesia, is now called Zimbabwe. It's right. used as the Rhodesia national anthem. Okay. The Council of Europe, the European Union, basically because it is talking about There's like... some light and shade in there. I mean, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Good times and bad times. Speaks of roundabouts. <laughs> not not everyone who's used it has been totally lovely people. No. But because it talks about sort of universal themes of we're all great and we're all together, it's because it's quite an open book okay. and yeah. is so sort of hummable. It's yeah. used at loads of New Year's concerts in Japan. Basically every single orchestra in Japan will start playing the Ninth Symphony at 11pm on December 31st every single year so that by the time it strikes midnight they're going full... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Ah, nice. Anyway, I could rabbit on and on about the cultural impact of it because it's <laughs> just send us a direct message if you want to hear more. Let him just waffle <laughs> if you on. Want to you. Just please, let me waffle on about let it because it is so famous yeah. and so good. Yeah. I think you shouldn't let its ubiquity detract from what an amazing piece it sure, actually yeah. is. No, no, it's, and it's great and it's huge. And uh, how many movements do you say? Four movements. Four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good hour of your life. I mean, it's a it's. 
a comfortable hour plus. But of we'll your put life, it. Yeah. We'll put it in the Spotify playlist, and if you fancy it, just do it. Just I mean, I would. I listened to it at work this week, and it was. I think if you listen experience. to that on your commute in, by the time you get into work, you're just going to be absolutely raring to go. <laughs> Come on, Monday, do your worst. Anyway, thank you so much, Chris. That was great. Please leave us a five star review. Please leave us a five star review. Please leave us a five star review. Well, Kelly, now now that we've learned all about symphonies, we don't have to feel like symphonies anymore. <sighs> Get out of my house. <laughs> Get out right now. Um, no, look, I've learned a lot about symphonies today. I hope you lovely listeners have also learned. Um, please let us know what your favourite symphony was that we played today or, mm. or indeed any other symphony Do that we let us know your recommendations for future apps and yeah. Chris how, how can people get in touch with us it's funny you should say that uh. Uh, so you can find us on Twitter we're at that classical mm-hmm. you can find us on Instagram we're at that classical insta Hi. You, we're on Facebook just search that just classical podcast and you'll find there us you, you, uh, you can send us an email oh, mm. that classical email at gmail.com very good we're also we're on so many platforms yeah. we're also we've got a Spotify playlist that we update after every episode, mm. including all the music we talk about. If mm-hmm. you fancy going back and having a little listen, dive in. Yeah, do take a dive. Um, and finally, if you have enjoyed this episode, truly, uh, please make your way to iTunes and give us a five star review. We'd really love to hear from we you. We would love you if forever. You've enjoyed it, and let us know what we can improve if if you haven't enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, we'll see you next time, guys. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.